Beijing says it's easing COVID-19 policy following nationwide protests, but some reports showing just the opposite. Anti-lockdown demonstrators cropping up across China, getting dispersed by police. We spoke to one protester who's voicing her determination. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo saying Beijing is trying to game the system, adding Washington must rethink how it protects national security interests. And Europe stuck in a dilemma over its biggest trade partner and systemic rival, now looking to reduce its dependence on China while asking the world's biggest market to open more sectors to European companies. Welcome to China in Focus, I'm Tiffany Meyer. Changes appear to be trickling into Chinese policy centered around COVID-19 controls. As of Thursday, authorities abruptly lifted restrictions in some mega cities, including Shanghai, Guangzhou and Chongqing. One community in the capital, Beijing, also allowed COVID-19 patients with mild symptoms to isolate at home rather than at a quarantine facility or hotel. The shift comes as China sees unprecedented mass protests against its contentious zero-COVID-19 policy. What's more, a top Chinese health official acknowledged for the first time that the COVID-19 Omicron variant's ability to cause disease was weakening. Vice Premier Sun Chunlan also didn't use the term dynamic COVID-0 in a national health meeting. The term used to describe China's quest to quash outbreaks and eliminate COVID-19. Instead, she announced that the country was facing a new situation and encouraged the elderly to get vaccinated. But could it be that China is beginning to shift away from its zero COVID-19 policy? Recent reports have surfaced showing contradictory messages. First, the eastern China's Shandong province announced a new plan on Wednesday. That's to invest more than $3 billion to build makeshift hospitals with over 200,000 beds. But the announcement is raising public concerns. One comment under the report says the move could mean that the COVID-19 policy will not change for many years to come. The same day, an audio recording ricocheted across Chinese social media. In it, an 18-year-old girl from Gansu province in northwest China is heard questioning staff in a makeshift hospital. The outburst came after staff ignored her requests for medicine. And in northeastern China's Liaoning province, city officials published a notice Thursday, saying it would be, in their words, a shame not to insist on a zero-COVID-19 policy when it has the potential for success. The Chinese Communist Party often blames so-called foreign anti-China forces for triggering unrest in China. In a protest in Beijing over the weekend, an unknown person tried to stop people from protesting, saying there were foreign anti-China forces in play. Some Beijing residents responded. In a clip circulating online, one citizen asked how so-called foreign forces would be able to get in touch with protesters, as they can neither go abroad nor visit foreign websites due to Beijing's censorship. 
，还是能上国外的网，都不能。联系我们，联系不上，哪来的境外势力？Another protester took a different perspective, saying the founders of communism, Marx and Engels, and Russian communists Stalin and Lenin, are the real foreign forces who infiltrated in China. Another demonstrator explained they only want freedom. With police out in force, quashing anti-lockdown dissenters in China, how are protesters coping? One of them says she won't give up as public anger and demands for change now have reached a breaking point. Here's her story. I feel like my blood is boiling. That's Wang recalling the scene from one of the biggest protests that erupted in Shanghai over the weekend. To protect her identity, we gave her a pseudonym and altered her voice. Part of the crowd there, she and her boyfriend were demonstrating against Beijing's strict COVID-19 measures. The current outpouring comes as 1.4 billion Chinese citizens are experiencing a third year of strict lockdowns, mandatory mass testing, and enforced quarantine. Such protests have spread across China, from major eastern cities to minority regions in the far west. During some protests, citizens gathered. Calling for the Chinese Communist Party to step down. That's until police started to arrest protesters at the sites. In the short time I was there, I saw at least three people being arrested. Many people were arrested earlier and the day before. Shanghai police clashed with protesters on Saturday. Officers began arresting people in the early morning. It's unclear how many have been arrested, but a Shanghai protester. Said 80 to 110 people were detained on Saturday night alone. We will continue to protest. This is not a solution to the problem at all. It will only make everyone angrier. Wang says tyranny cannot be endured forever, and eventually outpourings of dissent will occur sooner or later. A top official in Washington now describing China as an emerging threat to national security, U.S. companies, and American workers. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo gave the description on Wednesday, speaking at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Raimondo said Beijing has made clear it's moving away from economic growth and shifting toward national security. That's coupled with assertive military behavior. She went on to say that means Washington must rethink how it protects national security interests and promotes trade and investment interests. Raimondo stated China is attempting to game the global system to spread Chinese influence, something she said poses risks to the freedom of information and data privacy. She added the U.S. should be using every tool in its toolbox to protect companies and counter unfair economic practices. The head of the world's biggest military alliance is warning countries to avoid being dependent on China. He points to the war in Ukraine and Europe's dependency on Russia as reasons why. At the Berlin Security Conference on Thursday, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said Western countries will continue to trade with China, but they must reduce their vulnerabilities. We need to realize that when we engage economically with authoritarian powers like Russia on gas, 
or like with China on some critical commodities, rare earth minerals, for instance, it has consequences for our securities. So these decisions cannot only be made based on commercial considerations. Stoltenberg added that if authoritarian regimes see that force is rewarded, the world will become a much more dangerous place. China, the European Union's biggest trade partner and a systemic rival. When European Council President Charles Michel met with Chinese leader Xi Jinping in Beijing on Thursday, he sought to balance the two sides. Here's more on his trip. During his one-day visit to China, he expressed his union's wish for more exports to the world's second-largest economy. But he was also firm with Beijing in the defense of democracy and fundamental freedoms. Michel pressed China to open up more sectors to European companies while seeking to reduce dependency on China. On the European side, market access remains very open, while in China, several sectors remain much more closed. We need greater reciprocity. We need a more balanced relationship with no over-dependencies, a real level playing field for our companies. Earlier this year, the EU described China as an economic competitor and a systemic rival. As for the Ukraine war, Michel once again urged Beijing to take action. I urged President Xi, as we did at our EU-China summit in April, to use his influence on Russia to respect the UN Charter. Michel added that during his talks with Xi, he had raised the issue of human rights, fundamental freedoms, and rights of minorities. He didn't specifically mention the protests emerging in China in recent days. Chinese state media Xinhua News Agency reported that Xi Jinping told Michel to continue investing in China and to oppose economic decoupling. Next, a show of unity between the U.S. and France. President Joe Biden welcomed French President Emmanuel Macron on Wednesday for a three-day stay. It's Biden's first time hosting a formal state visit during his presidency. The two world leaders are expected to strengthen the Franco-American friendship aimed at countering common threats from Russia and China. The first thing on the French leader's agenda is to seek U.S. relief for European companies. That's as Western allies are facing intense competition from China. Macron will also try to negotiate U.S. exemptions for European companies. As for the China question, Macron says he is exploring a third way on China that's neither confrontational nor naive. On the other hand, Biden has urged his fellow NATO leaders to stand up to China's authoritarianism and growing military might. For the U.S., France is a key ally in countering China's threat in the Indo-Pacific. France is the only EU power with a presence in the region, with around 7,000 military personnel and several military bases stationed there. A White House spokesperson noted the two countries' common ground, saying France is at the center of almost every single national security issue that matters to the American people. An update on a major lawsuit tied to Hong Kong media tycoon and Beijing critic Jimmy Lime. Hong Kong authorities withheld a top British human rights lawyer's application for visa extension on Thursday. Timothy Owen is set to represent Jimmy Lime. Lai faces charges under the city's Beijing-imposed national security law. The Hong Kong court postponed the trial to December 13th, owing to the visa delay. 
Hong Kong's Department of Justice has repeatedly tried to prevent the British lawyer from representing Lai. Lai is one of Hong Kong's most prominent critics of China's Communist Party. Lai's case is being closely watched by the public, legal community and diplomats. The newspaper he founded, Apple Daily, shut down last summer after authorities raided its offices, arrested staff and froze assets. Signs that Beijing may be secretly supplying weapons to Russia. Ukrainian media Defense Express says Russian cargo planes fly to China almost every day. Let's take a closer look. Some planes even turned off transponders to avoid being tracked. The past week saw around 10 such flights. These planes reportedly belong to Russia's Volga Dnieper Airlines. The Moscow-based company ships oversized and heavyweight air cargo. Chinese footage shows one such Russian plane landing at the airport in China's Zhengzhou City. The video says the plane was coming to pick up military equipment. Zhengzhou is a major logistics and industrial center. It's also home to the production facilities of Chinese defense giant Norinco. The Chinese Communist Party is touting its management of environmental issues, but a recent report paints a very different picture. During the CCP's National Congress meeting in October, a top climate official trumpeted the party's ecological protections over the past decade, calling the advances unprecedented. But is that the real story? A Chinese journalist seems to be revealing just the opposite. Reporter Zalan Jian told the Epoch Times that China's environmental concerns remain at alarming levels. He named three major ills underlying Beijing's environmental policies. The first is what he called the predatory exploitation of nature reserves. Zhao criticized Beijing for plundering and overdeveloping natural landscapes for quick commercial success. He drew comparisons with scenic spots in other countries. I have visited ecological parks in many countries, such as the United States and Chile, where people are not allowed to build roads nor develop commercial tourism. However, China puts the tourist economic model as its first priority, puts tourism revenue from selling tickets as its first priority. According to Zhao, the second problem is river desertification that's hurting water supplies. Zhao spent 10 years investigating China's two longest rivers, the Yangtze River and the Yellow River. He noticed reduced water flow in many of their waterways. The cutoff of such water systems will also affect the development of agriculture, animal husbandry and fisheries along the rivers. Therefore, no matter how good the regime's slogans are about these environmental issues, the reality is visible to everyone. China's water conditions continue to plummet in recent years. In 2018, Zhao took a field trip to Tibet and the surrounding area. He found deserts there, areas he was shocked to learn were largely swamps just 30 years ago. The region he visited is the birthplace of both the Yangtze and Yellow Rivers. It was once known as the Chinese Water Tower. But its draining has led to water shortages along the entire Yangtze River system, including China's financial hub, Shanghai. In 2014, Zhao reported on pollution in a desert in northwest China, where a paper company was dumping untreated wastewater into a river. But his reports were soon removed from the Internet. Meanwhile, massive anti-pollution demonstrations broke out all over China. 
though all have fallen under the Communist Party's crackdown efforts. But Zhao is still sounding the alarm. The destruction of the entire natural environment in China, the destruction of tourism resources, and the destruction of ecological resources may not be able to be recovered in the next few decades or even the next several hundred years. He cautions that China's environmental data isn't objective, as the country's evaluation system is controlled by the regime. Coming up after the death of China's former leader Jiang Zemin, the name of a Chinese spiritual group became a trending keyword on Twitter, following Gong. Back in 1999, Jiang started a nationwide persecution campaign against the meditation system. 100 million Chinese people have been impacted. Levi Browdy, executive director of the Falun Dafa Information Center, spoke to NTD Good Morning's host Evelyn Lee about what's happened. Hear what he had to say in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Following with former Chinese leader Jiang Zemin's death, the term Falun Gong became a trending keyword on Twitter Wednesday. Jiang is widely known to have started the persecution of the spiritual group, which is considered one of the most horrific persecution campaigns in modern history. NTD Good Morning host Evelyn Lee spoke to Levi Browdy for more. He's the executive director of the Falun Dafa Information Center. Good morning, Levi. Good morning. Uh, like just mentioned, that Jiang Zemin is infamous for starting the persecution of Falun Gong. He also jailed human rights and pro-democracy activists. How big of an influence did he have on the current human rights situation in China? Um, probably the biggest influence of any modern figure in China. Um, not only did he start the persecution against Falun Gong, which had 100 million people at that time, so he's targeting 100 million of his own citizens, um, he was the one who started the 610 office, which is essentially uh, a Gestapo for Falun Gong and created an extra legal mechanism to go out, target, and suppress dissidents. He was the one who started the Great Firewall which is basically limiting or restricting Chinese citizens from reaching the free internet and also uh, surveilling them. And, and perhaps most troubling, he was the one that gave the order um, to use forced organ harvesting on Falun Gong, thereby taking innocent prisoners of conscience, killing them, extracting their organs, and selling them at enormous profit. All of these things are things that he started to go after Falun Gong, and now they're being used on regular other Chinese citizens, Uyghurs, and other groups. Wow. I want to go into a little bit more detail about the organ harvesting in a little bit, mm -hmm. but can you first share some numbers of what the impact has been so far of that persecution of Falun Gong? Well, I think the most important number to look at is the fact that there were 100 million people practicing Falun Gong in 1999. So that's one out of every 13 people in the country. So if you take one out of 13 people in the country and you arbitrarily detain them or torture them, in many cases kill them, that decimates Chinese society. Um, we knew when the UN did an investigation in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, they found that at least 66% of all torture cases coming out of China were Falun Gong practitioners. Um, it greatly expanded the surveillance state. Um, the number coming, well, another number that, that is, is quite telling is that the China Tribunal, 
which was looking into organ harvesting, an uh, international team looking into organ harvesting over the last few years, found that upwards of 60,000 Falun Gong practitioners were being killed per year as part of the organ harvesting uh, atrocities. So these numbers are huge, and people have to understand that these are all happening in China proper. This is not off in Xinjiang or some corner of China or some province. This is right in Beijing and Shanghai and Wuhan and Chengdu. All the cities, all the villages, this is happening throughout mm. China. And quite troubling. And But I'm just really wondering, how was he able to bring it that far? And I'm not just talking about the torture, the killing. I'm especially also now thinking of the, the organ harvesting that you just mentioned, you know, killing all these people to sell their organs for profit. How was he able to convince the country and, you know, everyone involved, really, that something so horrific was the right thing to do? He took a two-pronged approach. The first is an unprecedented volume and ferocity of propaganda. Um, I had friends actually living in Beijing when the persecution started, and they described it as propaganda marathons. Literally 24-7 state-run TV, newspapers, magazines, even children's coloring books. I mean, everything had this anti-Falun Gong propaganda to demonize people who practice. And over time, that seeps in. If that's all you're taking in day after day after day, it is somewhat successful in demonizing and dehumanizing people who practice Falun Gong. So that was the first thing. The second thing Zhang did, which was unprecedented, is that he elevated an unprecedented number of officials, generals, uh, police chiefs, all based on whether they were gonna follow him and persecuting Falun Gong or not. And so he built up a faction that was solely focused on this and with people of, of the character that would do this kind of thing. So he's building essentially a crime organization. So if you have the propaganda demonizing Falun Gong and you've, got, you've put together a team of people who um, are so morally uh, out of touch that they would do these kind of atrocities, you bring those two together, and that's what you, what you have is the tragic situation hmm. um, that's been happening in China over the last I see, we have years. one more minute before we have to go, so really quickly, he stepped down as a party leader in 2004, but I understand he was very active behind the scenes. Can you tell us more about his influence beyond his role, and you know, will something change now with his passing? Um, anytime a Chinese leader steps down, there's always a, a significant amount of influence he's exerting over the parties. They always have a lot of infighting and factions. The Jansenmen faction, as I mentioned, was very um, um, uh, nefarious uh, and somewhat powerful. It's very hard to tell whether this will have an immediate material change on the ground, but certainly, I think in many people's eyes, it is somewhat of a hopeful change because maybe those with a conscience can now step forward and do the right thing. Well, thank you so much, Levi Browdy, with the Fallendorf Information Center for some really eye-opening insights. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow. The greatest threat facing the United States is the CCP. The Epic Times investigation team had studied the CCP for years, but what we uncovered was yielding evidence beyond our imagination. With Chairman Mao, with the Prime Minister, our talks have been characterized by frankness. The Clinton administration said, oh, don't worry about it. This will be a poison pill for China. China's strategic goal is to make sure that the U.S. has four enemies, and one of them must be a terrorist group.
we are giving of our life's blood so that the Chinese Communist Party can survive and thrive.